tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. first reading here and thinking, hmm, <laughs> we'll figure something out. The gospel reading, though, oh, oh, I'm not there. I'll, I'll move the mic in. Oh, good grief. Where did I put? Oh, dear. I'll get it in the break. No, I can't. Okay, I'll just, I'll just good wing it. Grief. <laughs> good grief. All right. I'll wing it. Now, I, I did all sorts of show prep, believe it or not, on, on my little iPad, and I've left my iPad in another room. Oh well, <laughs> did we? We didn't. We need to pray. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing that keeps this show anywhere near on track. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to evermore rejoice in His comfort through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. St. Lucy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. And as we go there, I briefly want to talk about the Feast of St. Lucy. St. Lucy was a martyr uh, in in, uh, the early... Uh, years of the early church, about, uh, I think she was born about the year 280. Uh, and, um, she was a Roman and she was a Christian. And, um, they, they, she, well, she was, uh, killed for her faith. Uh, the, uh, she canceled her wedding and gave her dowry to the poor. And her, 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 um, her, prospective mate ratted her out for being a Christian and uh, she was killed for her, for her faith. That's St. Lucy. But the fun part of it is uh, this is on December 13th and and in I get the biggest kick out of what they do in Scandinavia. They, they still celebrate it and it's largely Protestant, but they celebrate St. Lucy because it's on a day when the in the darkest part of the year, and um, and by the way, at some point before Christmas, I will talk about um, the idea that we don't celebrate Christmas because it's the feast of the Saturnalia, and it's not. We're not celebrating. We're not trying to replace a Roman feast. Christians celebrated 
the birth of Christ on December 25th, because that's when they thought it happened. But that's for another day. But St. Lucie is definitely in the darkest part of the year, and in Scandinavia, that's pretty dark. And so they would celebrate it with singing and feasting and wearing a hat that had a lot of candles on it. It looks dangerous to me, but I don't want to talk anymore about that. I want to go to the readings. Let's see here. I think it's really cool. All right. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the 25th verse to the 31st. To whom can you liken me as an equal? By his great might and strength of power, not one of his army is missing. Uh, I, I can't get anything terribly profound out of this, but it's really beautiful. Uh, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the eternal God, creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His knowledge is beyond scrutiny. He gives strength to the fainting. For the weak, he makes vigor abound. Though young men faint and grow weary, and you stagger and fall, they that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar as with eagle's wings. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. I love those words. Uh, They're just so reassuring that that if we get our strength from the Lord, well, it's, it's a strength that lasts. And, you know, we can spiritualize this. There's a lot of people who are faint and weary who love the Lord, but but there's something in them that, that doesn't give up. Um, those are beautiful words. But let's go to the gospel. This is a gospel everybody loves. Um, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am meek and humble of heart, for you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy, my burden light. Very interesting. There is um, a fellow called St. Justin Martyr, and he was born, well, not too long after the birth of Jesus, or after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was from Nablus, which at that time was called Neapolis, which is a city just north of uh, Jerusalem. He was not Jewish. He was Greek uh, or perhaps Roman. He was probably, he may well have been born around 90 AD. He was born anywhere from 90 to 100, and he was martyred. That's his title, St. Justin Martyr. He was martyred about 165. He was a philosophy student, and he didn't find any philosophies that, that satisfied him until he met an old man who told him about Christ and talked about the Hebrew scriptures and and uh, the Christian scriptures, and um, he was convinced, and he joined the church and became a great Christian teacher. Uh, very interesting. Uh, something, to, let me find it here. I got to scroll down. Um, he was an early uh, uh, commentator on the Eucharist. Um, there's, I think he has about three works that exist. There's the dialogue with Trifo the Jew. He's dialoguing with someone who's Jewish, trying to convince him that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he has two apologies or explanations for his faith. Apology doesn't mean I'm sorry. In the classical sense, it means an answer, you know, answering back to your questioners. Well, let me read his statement on the Eucharist, which is, um, let me click here. It's from his first apology, chapter 66. And this food is called among us the Eucharist, for not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner is Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So likewise we've been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, 
and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation or are nourished is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who had made flesh. In, in the year, well, let's say one, this probably is, this belief would have gone back to his, his early years, I suspect. So by the year 100, <laughs> this is clearly announced, clearly enunciated that, that we believe that bread and wine become the flesh and blood of Christ. You know that, well, the, for the early Christians, it was just a symbol. Have you read the early Christians? They didn't think it was a symbol. They thought it was the real thing. And we read in even in a letter written by a pagan, uh, Pliny the Younger, he's writing to Trajan about 110 AD, uh, saying, these Christians, what am I going to do with them? Uh, and he talks about they, they offer a sacrament to God. The sacramental system, belief in the Holy Eucharist, belief in the virgin birth, um, Justin was big on that, but that's not why I brought up St. Justin Martyr. I brought him up because in his dialogue with Trifo, the 88th uh, chapter, um, they're small chapters, but the 88th chapter, I think the 8th verse of it, he talks about um, uh, Jesus was the son of a carpenter, or Joseph the carpenter, was reckoned, he was reckoned as son of Joseph the carpenter, and of course it's clear that Justin believes in the virgin birth and that Joseph was not his Jesus uh, physical father. Um, he says he was the son of Joseph the carpenter uh, and he was reckoned as the son of Joseph the carpenter and was counted as a carpenter himself making yokes and plows. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. Now I have heard an exegesis on this, which, you know, I can't really, um, um, say that this is historical fact, but it makes sense that one would assume that Jesus was very good at this. Uh, in fact, is there, I, I can't footnote it, but one said, I've heard that somewhere in the dialogue with Trifo, he says some of these plows are in use to this day. I, I can't find that text, but the point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus did this. He made farm equipment, yokes and plows. And when Jesus stood up in, in, in the crowd and said, take my yoke upon you, what must they have thought? Oh, this is the carpenter turned rabbi. It would have been kind of funny. It would have been, it would have evoked at least a smile. And I think what Jesus was saying is, I was very good at making yokes. You all know that. And I was very good with animals. I'm much better with the human heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. And humble of heart. Meek is prowess. And that has to do, oddly enough, with yokes. Uh, when you had two animals yoked together, uh, pulling a cart, if you had, for instance, two horses uh, who were pulling a cart or a chariot, and one of them was a more spirited and stronger horse than the other, you'd end up in the ditch because one would pull. So prowess, meek, what it, it referred to, oddly enough, to animals that were yoked together. And it meant a well-matched pair of animals, neither one pulling one way or, or the other. That's what it means to be meek, to know your limits, to know the meek, one of the meekest men I ever met was one of the greatest teachers I ever had. Um, and he knew where he was strong and where he knew something. But I remember asking his opinion on something. He said, well, I, I really don't know much about that. 
Um, <laughs> a lot of us in the faculty lunchroom, we knew everything, but this man was, was wise enough and brave enough and well-balanced enough to say, you know, that's not something I can really can comment on. I don't know about it. Um, that's a rare thing. People like me, we're ready to comment on everything all at once. But that's what it means to be meek, to know your strengths, to know your weaknesses. It isn't just, oh, I'm nobody. No, you're somebody, but you got some issues too. So I am meek and humble of heart. And of course, I've used this word a thousand times. Uh, it's one of my favorite words in the Bible, tapenos. Our Lord uses it of himself here, and our Blessed Mother uses it of herself in the Magnificat. Uh, she uses the word tapenos in its, in its noun form, uh, tapenosini. And what it means is undistinguished. If you could get in a time machine and go back to Nazareth and go to the carpenter shop, if Jesus had a shop, I imagine he was probably just a person with a tool bag who, who went from place to place. Um, if you could go back, as I said, with a time machine, you wouldn't be able, I don't think, you'd be able to pick out Jesus or his blessed mother from a crowd of two because they were so ordinary. That's what tapenos means. It means undistinguished. And, you know, I used this phrase the other day. Jesus didn't sit at the cool kids' table. He was humble. And he associated, as St. Paul says, with the lowly. And I think that's important for us to understand, that what is humble in the estimation of the word, what is, world, what is unimportant in the estimation of the world, is very, very important to God. You know, his eye, as the song says, is on the sparrow. So this idea of a yoke, my yoke is easy, my burden light. No, it's not. This is Christian stuff is tough. What do you mean it's tough? Sin is a lot tougher. You know, if you lay down the burden of sin and take up the burden of Christ, you'll find it is a lighter burden. It's when you fight the burden of Christ that you that you find it difficult. Sin is a much heavier thing to carry than God's love and grace. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And the world in which we live, which is which has um, turned its back on Christ in many, many parts, in many places. We bear such a heavy burden, and there's no one to help us lift it. So uh, his yoke is easy and his burden light. Let me see, is there anything else I want to comment on this? Um, I will give you rest. You know, that so often... Um, we feel unrested. At least I do. I, I know you do. And I think one of the most important words in this text is my yoke is easy. My burden is light that we forget that we take on burdens that are not from the Lord, that the burden we take on is, well, we think we're serving God you know, like Martha, who's doing something for Jesus. She's making a great meal and her sister won't help. Well, Jesus didn't ask her for a great meal. So often I do things that that people ask me to do without ever wondering if this is what God wants me to do. So my, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So often in our religious efforts, 
we we forget that the burden we're bearing sometimes isn't the Lord's. And we should say, Lord, help me to know what burdens I should carry, which ones are from you and which ones aren't. So just some thoughts on that. It's This is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And I think it's only enhanced by the idea that Jesus used to make yokes and plows. And this humble carpenter um, who made practical farm implements was, in fact, the Savior of the world. I think that's such a beautiful idea. All right, we're going to take a break. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We will be back, God willing. And I know he watches me, he watches me. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Father Simon says, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? On Relevant Radio. Christmas is all about. I know what Christmas is. No, I'm kidding. Christmas is a wonderful, wonderful time of the year, and uh, you know it's kind of funny. I when I was a, a pastor. Oh, this is terrible to say. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it, but I will anyway. Uh, the priesthood is a wonderful life. It really is. I mean, I, all joking aside, I, I'm so grateful to have lived a life as a priest. But there's a saying that that. Uh, uh, priesthood's a wonderful life if you don't mind working weekends and hating Christmas. <laughs> it's kind of funny that Christmas is pretty stressful in the business of religion, but now that I'm retired, um, I'm starting to enjoy Christmas again. So it's a beautiful feast. And if you don't, if you don't expect it to be more than it is, it's wonderful. Well, that said, let us, let us move along. Oh dear. Uh, oh, that means we have letters. Yes, we do. We do. Let's see. Okay, where am I? Let me see. I've got to scour the the lower areas of my my uh, mail here just to make sure I'm getting them. All right. This is Betsy, our Orthodox friend from Sacramento, California. Very interesting letter. Um, the uh, uh, <laughs> she thought it was pretty funny that I had to fill 45 seconds, and she said maybe a joke. Well. My my classmate, Father Branken, I tell him a joke and he just looks at me like I'm crazy. He <laughs> doesn't think they're funny. Well, probably because they aren't. All right. Uh, I have long wished there could be unity between Catholics and Orthodox. The problem is that Catholics keep changing, inventing things. A classical Orthodox joke, how many Orthodox does it take to change a light bulb? Response, change? Uh, now, that's from someone who's, who's uh, uh, Greek Orthodox. Okay, I believe Greek. But I have long... I have a long list, which I will send in a few of a time, over at a time so as not to overwhelm. I'm curious to know when and why these changes happened. We say body, blood, soul, and divinity. 
I don't know when it got added. You know, the body and blood of Christ. We we see Saint Justin Martyr um, saying exactly that. But why do we add soul and divinity? Well, Scott Hahn says it most wonderfully. He says the best way to say it, he thinks, is to say that in the Holy Eucharist we encounter the whole Christ, and that's about it. People who um, forget the humanity and 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 divinity of Christ. Well, soul. Jesus had a soul? Yeah, he had, he had a soul because he was human. And and the soul in Greek is psyche, which means it's the center of will and affections. Uh, so Jesus, in the fullness of his humanity, had a soul. So it's an emphasis on his humanity and his divinity, and people were prone to deny that. Um, uh, for instance, the Gnostics and, and early heretics. So we... We added that. I don't know when it was added. Solemnity. What happened to the word good old feast? Well, we have different grades of feasts. A solemnity <clears throat> is as if a Sunday. And it's just a matter of of uh, just a matter of, of language. Now this is this is significant. Fasting. The Orthodox, before communion, abstained from food and drink from midnight on. When did Catholics get just one hour before? That happened, I want to say, in the, uh, uh, it began to happen in the 50s. It was from midnight, then it became three hours, and then was knocked down to one hour, as I think just a concession to those people who who uh, would have been very unhappy if there was no fasting preparation for communion. Um the it happened in the course of of the 1950s and 60s as i recall when i was a boy we fasted from everything i mean a little boy i remember the fasting was from even water nothing past your lips uh you didn't smoke cigarettes you didn't do any of that and it was quite a laudable practice the idea was to get more people involved in the the sacrament but you know that's something that maybe needs to be revisited. Well, during the year, Wednesday and Friday, are fast days for the Orthodox. No meat, no fish, no dairy, no oil, and no wine. And I have to admit that, that Wednesday and Friday were common fast days in the early church, and we reduced it. Um, and I don't know why we reduced it or when. So I'm not telling you a lot of things, Betsy. Uh, during Lent, we abstain from meat, fish, dairy, oil, wine on all days. Uh, it's up to the parish priest to modify it. It's needed for parishioners, in other words, uh, for health reasons. And during Advent, uh, the Orthodox enter the Nativity Fast on the 15th, 40 days before Christmas. On November 15th, 40 days before Christmas. And it's the same as the Lenten Fast. Until uh, my adolescence... Advent was a time of fasting. And, you know, Betsy, you mentioned these things, and I think maybe we need to reconsider them. But one of the things that that um, is true for us is that those fasts are not, are not um, forbidden. In other words, we are welcome to fast more rigorously. And uh, those fasts, um, I remember when I was young, uh, they would say, uh, Oh boy, we don't have to. We don't have to abstain from meat on Friday anymore. But that was not what was said. There was misunderstanding of it. Penance is still 
expected of us on Fridays. For us, Friday, every Friday is Good Friday. Every Sunday is the resurrection. You don't fast on Sunday. You do on Friday. And the normal fasting is to abstain from meat. Uh, if that's not possible for good reason, then you can do another penance. So we've made it more flexible. And people heard that and said, we don't have to do it anymore. And that's not quite true. So, uh, you know, we we are able to, to do those more rigorous fasts if we so choose. But it was made a matter of choice. And it's very interesting. I'm going to have to contemplate that a bit, Betsy. But, you know, I think that, that this is an important an important thing. So thanks for your note, Betsy. And, you know, I think we need in the church to, to kind of look at how we fast. And it's I'm very happy that, that in a lot of ways fasting has come back. When I was a kid, oh, yeah, you meet meat on Friday now. I meet more and more people who don't eat meat on Friday. You know, my attitude is I try not to eat meat on Friday. If I'm a guest somewhere and they serve me meat, I'm not going to make a fuss about it. I will... I will do some other kind of penance, but uh, uh, I think that that's, um, you know, we could become rather rigorous about our fasting. And I think in the 60s, we had a reaction to the rigors of the past. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I, th I think that's really what's going on here. All right, let's move along here. Okay, now this is kind of an odd one. This is from John G. in Phoenix. Do the titles Son of Man and Son of God denote qualities or essences of man as well as God? I noticed that Judas was called the son of perdition, and James and John were the sons of thunder. Well, I, I think that the terms Son of God and Son of Man need to be looked at. Son of God is not, oddly enough, uh, that important a uh, uh, a title to Jesus. Son of man is much more important to Jesus. The son of man, we read in the book of Daniel, is a celestial being who comes from the, the throne of heaven. And to arrogate that term to himself, Jesus was clearly making himself superhuman and, well, divine. Son of God, there were lots of sons of God. The angels are referred to as sons of God. Members of the covenant are, are talked about as the children of God. Every Roman emperor decided he was a son of God. Lots of sons of God. So that term was not that important. It is very, very important or very interesting to notice that the devil has no problem calling Jesus the son of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The devil acknowledged Jesus as son of God. As far as I can tell, the devil never, ever calls Jesus the son of man. The devil is very happy if God will just mind his own business and stay in heaven. Because, of course, the earth belongs to the devil as far as the devil's concerned. But when, when the Son of Man, this heavenly being, invades the realm that Satan believes is his, well, there's trouble. So um, the Son of Man is very significant because uh, it really denotes the divinity of Christ and it also denotes the 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 uh, invasion of the devil's territory by God. So that's son of man and son of God. Now the other terms, Judas is called the son of perdition, and James and John were the sons of thunder. Ancient people really, really believed in heredity. Uh, they didn't believe that you could uh, 
uh, um, change your stripes. If you were, if your great grandfather was a slave, though your father was a free man and your grandfather was a free man and you were born free and wealthy, didn't matter. You were still a slave. You had the nature of a slave because you had a slave in your ancestry. They didn't believe nature could change. And that's one of the amazing, wonderful things about Christianity that we can change our very nature by becoming the children of God. No, we, we, we can lose the perdition and the thunder if we give our lives to Christ. So I think that's an important, important thing. That's, so when someone's called the son of thunder or the son of perdition, they're saying it's in your very DNA and, uh, you can become the son of God by adoption, thus changing your very nature. So let's see, let me look at the time. I think I can do one more letter. Let's see here. Okay, this is, oh, this is, that's what I did that one already. Let me go back to Betsy, 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 the Orthodox from Sacramento has got me thinking. Okay, um, this is a rather long letter um, that uh, someone who's just writing, this is from Deborah in Corinth, uh, um, I think it's Corinth, Maine. Um uh, that she's agreeing that reverence for the Eucharist has declined. Um, so the, the, she was talking about when the blessed sacrament would fall by accident to the floor, it, everybody stopped. Uh, um, uh, the, the, uh, there was holy water and a clean, uh, purificator to, to cleanse it. Um, and she also talks about uh, the beauty of, of music back then. So, you know, what she's kind of saying, if I understand the point of your, your letter, I, I also go to daily mass where 10 or so of us can have our time with God without the distraction of children running around or screaming babies. I suppose we part company there. I like screaming babies at mass because it means there's a future. You know, the, the, I remember I had an experience, um, when Deacon John Green, a wonderful deacon, uh, was preaching. And of course his wife and children were in, in, in the congregation and you could just see he was utterly un unnerved because one of his children was making a terrible fuss and for a change, I was listening to the sermon. Didn't bother me at all. You know, you get used to a child screaming, especially if you're a parent. <laughs> and if you're bothered by children <laughs> making noise in church, just remember you were a child once who made noise in church. One of my earliest memories, and this must go, go back to when I was one or two, was when I was brought to church. And in those days, one had hard baby shoes. These were leather shoes. And, and you didn't have the soft little booties, uh, gym shoes that, that we put children in now. And I, I remember distinctly what a wonderful noise those, those hard shoes with their hard heels made if I banged my legs up and down on the pew. That's one of my earliest memories. It was a while before they took me back to church. I was the youngest of, of seven. So, so kids who'd already been to mass got to babysit me. Well, mom and dad went to church, but uh, uh, so when I uh, kids make a noise in church, I'm always a little sympathetic. Been there, done that, you know. And and if if a child is just fussing, 
and making making mom or dad's life miserable, you can lean over and say, can I help you? Well, I'm praying, so I shouldn't be distracted. No, you're, you're there to worship God. You know, uh, we go to Mass to worship God. And maybe it isn't so important how I how much I get out of it. I get so much more when there aren't screaming babies. And I get so much more when there aren't distractions. Yeah, it's nice. I like a nice, quiet Mass, too. But sometimes God wants us to to just be there to worship him and not count how it makes us feel. And to say to some fellow parishioner, do you need some help? <laughs> Can I help you with that baby? And, uh, uh, you know, you have to do it judiciously and carefully uh, that uh, these are strange times. But, uh, you know, if you're right there, you might be able to help. So just some thoughts on that. But, yeah, I, I think that uh, um, somebody – oh, by the way, there are plenty of lines open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. All right, we're going to take a break. I'll come back with a word of the day and then phone calls at 888-914-9149. Today, we'd like to thank Francisco, who is listening in California, for donating his 1967 Buick LeSabre. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Lord, I'm traveling on for Jesus night and day. Night and day, let me tell you, I'm traveling on over Jesus night and day. I want you to make up on your mind, sure, a good friend's hard to find. I do like this song. Why, <laughs> traveling on now for Jesus. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, all right, enough. I'm, I'm sinking into fond memories of long trips that, thank the Lord, I, I no longer quite have to make. But, oh, well, why should I bother with my problems? Let's go to the word of the day. Well, the gospel here says, um, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened. And um, it's you know, I'm, I'm getting picky about this, but come to me all those, and then it's a, a, a participle, all those laboring and heavy burdened. Uh, so th- th- this word, it's it's yeah, it, it's not a big deal. It, you know, it's not a bad translation. That's not what I'm trying to say. But there's those who are laboring. And that's kind of interesting because the word for labor here uh, comes from, it really is related to the verb for getting punched, <laughs> to, to hit, to strike, copto, which means to hit or to strike. Uh, it, it's a, 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 a hit, a blow that is so hard that it seriously weakens or debilitates. This is deep fatigue, extreme weariness. So this word for laboring is come to me, all you who labor, all you who are beat up. <laughs> you don't you feel that way sometimes? Come to me, all you who are beat up and and burdened down. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? Um, 
and I will give you rest. And the word for rest is anapauso, which we get the word pause from it. It means to 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 be exempt. To to I'll give you some time off. That's <laughs> that's a wonderful wonderful thing. So if you're feeling beat up, go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for a little bit. But I got a lot to do. You know, it's kind of funny. We work and we work and we work. And have you ever thought that? Rest is one of the big ten. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. And get a little rest. I mean, in what way is, 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 is not resting on Sabbath? Well, we give it to the Lord, you know. that No, you're supposed to rest, too. It's a day of rest. Why is that in the big ten? Because... To work and never rest is to say God can't do it without me. Now, some people I know have to work very hard to put bread on the table, and we mustn't be critical of them. But I think it's also important to realize that rest is commanded by God as an act of faith. If I constantly work and never rest, that's the life of a slave. And I'm not a slave. I'm a child of God. And Sabbath rest taking some time, and if you can't rest on Sunday, get some time when you're really resting, where the, maybe the phone is off and your feet are up. And don't feel guilty about it because you're obeying God. You know, to work without resting is is um, is to say God can't do it without me. Now, admittedly, uh, take that with a grain of salt because like a mother of children, not a lot of rest until, well, until they're grown and even then. So, but rest, it's very important for us. All right, let's go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your fin. I'm sure the phone's fine. Yesterday it got all screwed up, but today it's good. Mike from Goodwin, South Dakota. What can I do for you, Mike? Hello, I found out recently, Father, that my friend, I mean, a week before Thanksgiving, I couldn't get a hold of her. Her name was Maria. And mm-hmm. I found out she had died months ago, and her sister said oh she just lost her zester zeal for life, and she stopped oh eating my. and drank, and she died. And I don't know, think she had any faith. I've, I've been moping around ever since. So I asked Father Rocky at 7 o'clock to pray for her soul. And, you know, there's tens of thousands of rosaries. Do you think that was enough to save her, maybe go right to heaven? And if so, do you think God told her? that who asked for prayers that was Mike that helped pray for her. Well, that's, that's a pretty multifaceted question. First of all, um, it wouldn't have saved her, but it might've helped her come to an awareness of the Lord because you know, God is not limited by time. And if we pray after the fact, well, I suspect that God can, can apply it to that moment in time when it's most needed. And, you know, I love what C.S. Lewis says, that God will save a person on the flimsiest of motives. We can't judge that she's saved or unsaved, but we trust in the mercy of God. And, you know, as to the last part of the question, I I bet she certainly knows that you you asked for prayer for her, because I've, I've heard that said people who have these beyond and back experience, they say they can hear the prayers of everyone. And, um, um, I've known specific instances where uh, someone is revived after one of these beyond and back, you know, near-death experiences, 
and they they will thank someone. I thank you for praying for me. How do you know I was praying for you? I wasn't there. I was far. No, I heard you praying for me. So you can be assured that she knows of your good intention. Uh, but as to her salvation, we leave that to God. So I will certainly be praying for you and uh, continue to pray for the repose of her soul, that it it certainly uh, cannot hurt. So uh, I will I will join in praying for her, Gary. God bless you and thanks for calling in or Mike rather. Let's go now to Gary from Traverse City, Michigan. Are you with us, Gary? Uh, yes, I am, Father. I have yes. a question that's hopefully an easy one. Um, my yeah. mother passed away years ago, and she had a crucifix that I inherited yes. from her when she passed away. And she yeah. was it's probably from like the 40s or 50s. And it happens yes. to have a skull and crossbones down yeah. at the bottom of the crucifix. Yes. And I've never seen that yes. before, and I... Wondering if you might know why that would be. I do, I do. There's an old belief that Jesus was crucified on Calvary immediately over the grave of Adam, the bones of Adam. And in Jerusalem, there is a little chapel underneath the, uh. the chapel of Calvary that's called the Chapel of Adam. And nobody's ever in it. You can go there if you're in the church, the Holy Sepulchre, and pray quietly. And you can actually see the broken, the cracked stone. The Calvary was a rock that the builders had rejected because it was too soft. It was cracked down the middle, so they quarried around it. It was literally the stone rejected. The Chapel of Adams. That's why there's a skull and crossbones on certain old crosses. Does that answer your question? Oh, yes, that does. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, there's just, nothing creepy. Nothing I've creepy. always wondered about <laughs> looking at that old cross. Well, there you uh, go. It wasn't well, thank creepy. Thank you very much. God bless. Uh, yeah, Ralph God bless. from Palmdale, from Palmdale, California. What can I do for you, Ralph? Hi, Father. Uh, uh, if, I, if I may, I might have two. I don't know. But uh, so my grandson, my my sister's grandson, rather, you know, she's not married. She says she mm-hmm. and she can't make mass every day. She'll listen to it or watch it on TV or whatever. And she's a daily mass, you know, communicator and prays mm-hmm. the rosary every day. And she's living with her boyfriend of many, many years. And yeah. her grandson recently came over to my house with his girlfriend and I told her, oh, yeah, sure, you can sleep, spend the night, but you guys aren't married. You have to sleep separate. And, man, I got so yeah. much hassle from my kids and my grandkids, and not not him or his girlfriend. They they, they just agreed. And, but then the next time they came, you know, everybody had given me such a hard time. I let them sleep together, and I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then my grandkids that I recently acquired because my single my son, who was a single father, he passed away recently, and now they're mm-hmm. raising his grandkids. Why do you force us to go to church? Well, we're not forcing you. You know, we, we, we go to church, and now we're responsible for you, and we want to take you to church. Yeah, but you're forcing us, and that's not right. I, I don't know how to do oh, it. Oh, you know, you know, you know, when next time they say, why are you doing this? Because I love you. Well, if you love me, you let me do what, what I want. Yeah, 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 go play in the traffic if you want to. No, I love you. To love... Ask, ask them this, define love. Before you say, because I love you, ask them, define, when they say, how come you won't let us sleep together? And, you know, define love. Well, love is when you feel good about somebody. Oh, so then you can you can stop loving someone when you don't feel good? And you'll, you know, you'll just take advantage of each other now, and then when you stop feeling it, you won't? 
Well, no, that's not what we mean. We're, you know, define love. Tell me what love is when you love somebody. Define love. And then after you've tortured them with that, say, to love is to will the good of someone. I love you. And that's why I'm saying no. This is not good for you. If you if you don't respect the vows of, of marriage now, if you marry, you won't respect them then. You're cheating on your wife right now. Or you're cheating on your husband right now. What do you mean? I'm not married. No, but you probably will be someday. And right now you're having sex with someone to whom you're not married. You're cheating. And I love you. And I don't want you to cheat. I want you to grow up to be strong and truthful and committed and honest. I love you. That's why we go to church on Sunday. It's the best thing for you. I love you. So you don't sleep together until you're married. Oh, that's not nice. I didn't say it was nice. It's love. Love is as relentless as death, the Bible says. And I love you. And I will as long as I'm in this world and after I'm out of this world. You know, respect me. Because you're not going to find anybody who really loves you enough to tell you the truth. That's what I would do. Does that help a little? Uh, yeah, it does, Father. Thank you so much. They're coming this weekend, and I'm yeah. wondering if they're going to want to spend the night again. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, tell them they can go to a motel and be idiots. But you love them in your house. You're going to love them. Yeah, ask them to define love. I bet they can't. It's just a feeling. Oh, feelings go away. So you're going to stop loving each other someday? No. Oh, sure you will. Feelings come, feelings go. It depends what you ate for dinner. Or if you got yeah. a good night's sleep. So, God, yeah, God, God just, bless you, Father. I love listening to your God program. bless. Well, I'm honored okay. you listen. God bless you, Ralph. Let's go to okay. Brian, who's calling in from Wichita, Kansas. Where, Brian, what can I do for you? Hey, Father, thank you for your priesthood. Two, two quick questions about saints. Occasionally, as in a couple of weeks ago, during the Eucharistic prayers, there are a series of saints mentioned why are just those saints mentioned? Is there something special about their sainthood as it relates to Eucharistic prayer, or are they just kind of randomly selected? Oh, they're not randomly selected. It's a matter of history. Um, the, the, the saints in the, the, the Roman canon is the one that has the long list of saints. You know, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Celia, Anastasia, and all your saints. It's got that list. That kind of denotes when in history that was written. Because those were saints to whom the church at Rome had a great devotion at the time. And so they were kind of frozen into the canon at that moment. That's my theory. So, um, and the more modern canons, we sort of abbreviate them and we can put in the saint, a patron saint, uh, that sort of thing. But in the Roman canon, those lists of saints were saints who were honored in Rome at the time that, that, that the can, those canons came into use. Uh, we're talking about 200, 250 A.D. So does that help? It does. So let me, if I, my son asked me a question that I couldn't answer about saints. You know, with the body, sure. should we, when we're buried, we should be intact, right? Why well, is it with saints they can, not, I'm sorry? It's the custom. Well, we, we, yeah, you have relics of saints. The body is to be treated with great respect. When they were buried in the grave with proper ceremony, that's great respect. The bodies of saints, in order to be an inspiration uh, to, to the faithful, relics are taken from the bodies of saints, but they are kept in great respect. In reliquaries, they aren't just put in a drawer and forgotten about or thrown in the garbage. The emphasis is to treat the human body with great respect. And relics of the saints are treated with great respect. So it's a matter of, of kind of 
sharing the prayers and teachings of that particular saint. Does that answer that question? That, that does, yes. Yes, thank you, Father. Good. God bless you. Phew. Brian, let's go to, to Teresa. We just have a minute, Teresa. What can I do for you? Blessings, Father, for you and relevant radio listeners, and especially Bessie, the, the Greek Orthodox. Um, I read uh, uh, Bishop Barron's book, This Is My Body, and I got from it two things, but I'll just say the one, that he says when God speaks, he activates, and that's the bread and the wine. Absolutely is the body and blood of Christ. And I yeah. am praying that our new model this next year will be in God we trust, and God activate us. <laughs> yes, yes. God is the giver of uh, the giver of life. We say that in the creed. And and uh, you know, uh, when someone has really encountered God, they tend to get active in one way or another, even if they're infirm. So, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. That's uh, that's yeah. Bishop Barron has a lot of good insight. Knew him when he was a kid. I'm that old. God bless Bishop Barron. If anybody talks to Bishop Barron, give him give him my best. He's he's a great guy. Oh, speaking of great guys, Drew is coming up. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>